Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast for the sake of the child. My name is Tara Gleason. I'm a professional educator, curriculum developer, researcher, and now podcast producer for the Military Child Education Coalition. I'm also a parent and the spouse of an active duty service member. Joining me today is Rolly Sampson, the military family liaison in Moore County Schools. I want to talk about some of the welcoming practices used in the district that I really think models what right looks like. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, so my pleasure to be here. First, can you tell us a little bit of your background? I am also a military family member, so I uh, was born, raised in the military. My father was a career NCO and a Vietnam-era veteran. I joined the military when I was in college. I enlisted in the National Guard and then later took a commission on active duty as an engineer officer where I met my husband. I left the military um, when I was still a pretty young officer uh, after an injury, and so I spent most of my husband's career as a military spouse. Right now, I work for Moore County Schools. I am the military liaison for this district. Um, This is my third year in the position, and it grew out of advocacy for military families in our school system who really felt like we needed a more than just volunteers. We actually needed a presence at the central office to support military families. I have a master's in counseling from Wake Forest University, and and I really enjoy where I live outside of Fort Bragg. You mentioned the military family liaison position. Can you tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit more about what this position entails and how you came to to take this over in the district? Yes. So in the state of North Carolina, um, the state actually created four positions in school districts that support military installations. So every major installation has also a, a, you know, the, the primary school system for that cantonment area. So for Fort Bragg, it's Cumberland County. Um, Camp Lejeune has one. Uh, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base has one. And so does Cherry Point has one. We actually work for the school system. So even though these were state-funded positions, they actually work for the school system. Moore County is unusual because we are not the school system that the liaison from the state is paid for. So our school district recognized that we were seeing exceptional growth in the number of military families we had. And our military families members wanted the same level of support that was happening in the other communities. And so I'm actually locally funded. So I'm funded through the school district for the position. So I work for the school system. Um, My job is to advocate on behalf of military family members. Um, I help them as they transition in and out. I work with the school counselors so we can ensure that credits transfer correctly. Um, I help develop professional development for teachers and staff. I go down to school, sort of talk about how to navigate the military students on their population. We have some unique populations for military families um, in this community that look a little bit different than most of our conventional units. And I also do a lot of advocacy at the state and national level, specifically when it comes to the interstate compact or other benefits that are important to military family members. In addition to that, we work closely with our installations. So I work with the school liaison officer, which is the installations person 
that helps navigate education in the community. So we work together. And do you also have military student transition consultants in your area as well? We do. Cumberland County Schools, I believe, has four in their school district. We do not have any over here, but I actually know them and we work and we collaborate all the time together as well. So even though they may not be in our school system, we share best practices back and forth. And so I know they've been very successful over there. Tell me a little bit more about your Military Family Council and your Military Family Forum. So the Military Family Council is what we consider a parent advisory council. Most school districts have parent advisory councils that meet at a district level and, you know, share concerns or ideas with leadership at the district level. About, I think it was 2016, um, we were very fortunate that our current superintendent is also a military family member, um, he, and he wanted to find a better way to support military families, um, and he asked for input. And so we um, asked him to do two things. One, we asked him to do a survey of the military families in the school district to actually identify really what our needs were so that when the district made decisions about policies and programs, they had some information to base it off of rather than just figuring, picking what they thought were the best things for us. And the second thing we asked was um, for a parent advisory council that was all military families so that we could not only advocate for ourselves, but we could support each other. And the way we set up the military family councils, each school that has military children on their campus, regardless of whether they're active duty or not, um, has one or more representatives that comes, we meet about six times a year, um, to sort of talk about any concerns they might have on their campus. But the most important part is they're, they're a point of contact for any military families on that campus, um, which is wonderful because when a military family may not know, hey, I'm having problems with my TRICARE or I don't know where to go for this, they have somebody on that campus they can go to. It's also someone to welcome those new families. Um, it can sort of help them acclimate to the community a little quicker. So it was a way for families to advocate for district policies, but also to self-support each other, which is sort of what we're used to anyways. When you think about family readiness groups, things like that, we're used to supporting each other. So it was a natural um, transition for us to do that. And, and our superintendent was real gracious in giving us that opportunity. And so out of that group and our first survey, we requested to do a military family forum. Um, and the premise and the idea with that was to sort of look at what the major issues were that came from that survey. Um, so for, for the very first survey we did, the biggest issues we came were inconsistencies in enrollment paperwork. Every school had different paperwork. Um, communication, you know, uh, not knowing where to go to find answers, especially as you were transitioning in and out. Um, website information, maybe not being accurate or even accessible for certain things they were looking for. And then transfers, which is really all about that interstate compact, about, um, especially at the high school level, a lot of concern about students having to do repetitive work. So those were, at that time, and those are really big issues with lots of parts. And so our first forum, um, we set it up like we would, you know, an Army Family Action Plan or program on an installation AFAP conference where we brought in groups of people, we gave them a topic, we asked them to identify all their areas of concern within those topics, and then pick the top three, sort of prioritize them. Okay, we know you have 15 things here. Well, we can't fix them all at once. So what are the three most important? And then the afternoon, they spent the rest of their time figuring out, okay, these are our three issues, and they and they made recommendations on how to solve or or you know to improve these areas. And so that information then went back, um, and we actually briefed it to all the principals, and then we took those action items, and the school district started to address them. And so out of that very first one came changes to our enrollment processes. Um, it came changes to how we looked at MIC three. 
Um, and it, so it really started a dialogue of how we can improve. So each year we continue that model of doing the forum um, and we reevaluate what were the action items from the year before that maybe we didn't get to finish or address completely, and those become the next years. And so what we've noticed over the course of four years is that our problems are starting to be much smaller. So we're really getting more into the weeds. So this year, um, instead of just talking about, you know, enrollment not being consistent, now we have a very consistent enrollment process, and we have online enrollment that has software that integrates. Uh, so now we're looking at little things like in-and-out processing checklists, things that make that process just a little bit simpler. Um, so, so it's really been a real productive thing for our district. So the, the next thing I want to talk about, we're starting to get into what I would consider impact aid season. At the district I'm at, we're already receiving emails. They're doing it online. Can you tell us a little bit about what impact aid is and then how you increase participation for families in your district to complete that impact aid survey? So impact aid is designed to assist local school districts that have lost tax revenue due to the presence of a tax-exempt federal property, or they um, experience increased expenditures due to the enrollment of federally connected children. So if you're on an installation or living close to an installation, those installations impact the tax revenue of the community next to them. Um, so the program is actually managed by the United States Department of Education, and impact aid funds that school districts receive are unrestricted, and they can support the needs of all students. So it's not money that's specific to the federally connected student. It's designed for that school district to fill in the gaps of funding that they've missed because of, you know, we don't pay all the taxes that are in the local community. Um, in most military communities, you know, active duty service members would fall within eligibility. Um, civil workers who work on federal property, as long as the population was high enough, um, the school districts could get funding from them. Um, foreign government officials, military, you know, foreign officers we get funding for. And then if we have any federal housing in the community, we also pick up funding for that. Um, so it's not as much money as a lot of people think. I think that's usually the misconception. There are very few school districts um, in the United States that are considered heavily impacted. So most of us, you know, can most of us probably receive less than $1,000 per student. For example, in Moore County, we average about $180 per student is what we receive in funding for each form. The money is unrestricted. So it's really at the discretion of the school district on how they use their funding. So that's so in our school district, one of the things we looked at is um, we wanted to make sure we were very purposeful in how we use that funding. So even though the federal government says we can use it how we see fit, we feel a personal responsibility to make sure we have a connection to military children in our district because that's really what's providing that funding for us. We take part of the money and we keep it at the district level for programs and services that support all 24 campuses. For example, I'm funded out of that money. Um, we fund a school resource officer. We do some school safety with that money. We put money aside for professional development, including the Military Child's Education Coalition's National Training Seminar every year. We use money from there to support our student-to-student -student programs, as well as to send them to that training seminar, which they love. Um, and this year, we actually sent middle school students for the first time. So that was really great to send a large group of students to D.C. And then part of that funding is returned to the school. So every school that participates in Impact Aid also gets funding returned to them. And we use that funding. So they try to use that funding on their campuses in ways that also benefit military-connected students. 
Um, so, for example, some of the schools will use it for additional tutoring. Um, we use it. We have a couple schools who will use it for staff support during for summer enrollment. Um, many of our data managers, who are the ones who do the enrollment during the summer, are only 11-month employees, so we don't have any coverage in the month of July, which is when we see an influx of new students. So being able to provide support during that month means that we can enroll students, um, and they don't have to wait until right before school starts. And we also use it for new student orientation. So you have some unique challenges as far as your demographic goes for the area that you yes. serve. What were some specific things that you considered when you were – presenting the impact aid survey or, or trying to get parents in your community to participate? That's a really good point. So in Moore County, Fort Bragg is a really unique installation. It has a lot of major commands. So we have um, a lot of conventional forces. We have, you know, 18th Airborne Corps, which most people would think of as, you know, the 82nd Airborne is in there. You have Force Com. We have a Joint Special Operations Command here, United Space States Army Special Operations Command. And with each of these commands, they have different ways of operating. And so within the special operations community, OPSEC is always a concern. So we've done a lot of work to sort of educate our families on the impact aid process, what it looks like, and where that form goes and how it's secured, because there's personal information that's shared on it. The other thing that we really were conscious with with our form is not asking for information that we didn't need. So for service members who are in positions or serving in organizations where privacy and security are really important, um, we realized that we didn't need to ask for their unit, so don't put it on the form. So we really only ask for what the federal government requires us to ask for if we want to apply for aid. So um, on my form, the only thing I ask for that I probably don't already know about the student is the service member's rank. So we ask for the service member's their rank, their branch of service, their status, so if they're on active duty, um, and then we ask for their rank. And, and that's what's re required to collect in terms of from the federal government. Um, we've expanded our form to include a few other classifications on it. So we also track our retiree and veteran populations. Um, and we use this form as, also as our military identifier form. So instead of doing two surveys every year, we do one. Um, so that created much better participation. Two, really explaining to military families that once the form is collected, it's consolidated at the central office. And the only thing that we report to the federal government are total numbers. So nobody, that form never leaves the district or is seen beyond the district. The only time somebody would see that form who is not within our school district, right, really within my school department, because there's no reason for anyone else to look at these forms, and, and I actually keep them secured, um, they're under lock and key, would be as if we get audited. So the Department of Ed is, you know, like every school system, most receive an audit at some point. We've been audited a few times. And that's when they come down and they look at the form. Um, but they're really looking for completeness. They're not looking at individual information. So that was really helpful. And the third was working with the installation and trying to work with those commands where maybe we might see some resistance. Uh, and we found that when they sent out the notification that this was happening and they gave permission to their service members in those organizations to participate, we saw a huge increase in participation that year. And so we average a pretty high return rate compared to some of the school districts for this. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really going to help parents understand kind of the back story of impact aid and, and how it's used. And it's also going to help other districts get ideas on, on what you've been doing there. So I have had the opportunity to speak to your superintendent. And he said that parents in this county in, in particularly often are well prepared before they even arrive. What would you recommend in regards to welcoming practices for incoming military families? 
as far as from the school district perspective or from what a family should do as they're coming in? I would say both. I think that you've been on both sides of this fence. So I think that you have a unique perspective as far as being on the parent side and then now Mm -hmm. serving on the school side. So I I think both would be helpful. Yeah, it's funny because I still remember when, uh, so we had lived in the school district, we had moved away and we returned. And I remember my return to the school district being very challenging. And I thought to myself, man, this was really hard. And I've lived here before and I know this place. So from the perspective of a parent when you're moving, there are things that you can do to make your life a little bit easier. And probably the receiving school's life easier, especially if you're going to a school district that maybe doesn't have a high turnover rate for students. So one is hand-carrying copies of records. And the nice thing is that MIC-3, which is the Interstate Compact, uh, provides a provision for you to do this. So it's important for you to understand that because you're Sending school may be very reluctant to give you this information, but legally they're required to. So you can hand carry unofficial records. I would totally encourage you to do that. If you have children who have IEPs or 504s, you need to not only hand carry those records, you need to hand carry any medical evaluations or anything else that might go to support that. Um, So things like eye exams, shot records, those are all things that you should hand carry as you're coming in. Hand carrying your birth certificates for students will make that process quicker. And then contacting the school district beforehand and find out if there are health forms. So in the state of North Carolina, if your child's ever been in in the state before, they have to have a school health form. But if they want to play sports at at the middle school and high school level, they also have to have an athletic form, which requires physicals. So if you can print those forms and have them done by your physician of where you're currently living before you arrive, you can speed up that process of not having to wait for a new patient appointment at your new location. So I think that's one of the big things we always tell parents. It's really the health form I work with them on. And the, and the other is, is there are great resources out there. And one of my favorites is the Seasons of the My Military Child book. And they make lots of great recommendations in here. One of the ones that I thought was my favorite was, you know, sometimes children – You know, you might have a student who's very average, or maybe you have a student who's gifted. Um, Sometimes that doesn't translate in paperwork. So if you have a teacher who can write a letter that can go in that packet, that might help that school district place them better. That's something to bring along as well. Um, And any testing you might have, so whether it's some kind of standardized testing if your school district did, like, you know, Iowa State testing, or if you have ACT, SAT scores, all that information just helps that school counselor and that administration better place your child when you get there. Now, from a school district's perspective, what we can do is be flexible. Is The first is we really need to understand the interstate compact and, and really understand the spirit of how it was written and, and how we can use that to the benefit of the student. And then we have some policies. So we work really hard now in the state of North Carolina. If we have PCS orders, we can start enrolling that student before they even arrive. And so we put protocols in place in this district to make sure that when a family reaches out and says we're moving here, we start that process. And so we provide some 30-day windows from the first day of school for certain documentation um, because the family might be coming in right before school starts. So we have a 30-day window for shot records. We have a 30-day window for proof of residency, things like that. We give a little bit of a grace period because the law gives us permission to do that, but also makes that transition easier. And then we've just worked on in-and-out processing procedures. And we think this helps the parent because they'll know what to bring. And for the staff member, they know what to expect. And so that really helps clarify that communication so that we have consistency about all 24 campuses. 
So every campus is enrolling children the same. Because when you're a military family, a lot of times you have kids at different levels. So you might have a third grader and a sixth grader and an 11th grader. You're going through three different schools. The process should be the same at every school. That's great. I work in parent programs, and we have a workshop, several workshops actually, on transitioning children, your neurotypical children and children with exceptional needs. And you're spot on with all that we recommend to parents as well. So in the upcoming months, we're going to dive into mid-year moves as a topic. How do you address families coming in at varying times during the school year? I think that's really challenging, doing a mid-year move, and, and especially as students get older, because one of our, so for example, in the state of North Carolina, one of our challenges is North Carolina runs high school in a block system. And so what that means is that instead of taking a course the entire school year, kids, students, you know, where we would have an A-B day all year long, students have that same course Monday through Friday for a semester. So it runs very much like a college system would run. So when you have a student, let's say, coming from um, another state where they do, you know, I think we just had a student coming from like Texas where the class runs the entire school year and they move in December, well, they only have a half credit now in that course from where they were coming from because they didn't complete it. And we don't necessarily have a way to offer that half credit back. So that's really challenging um, is finding ways to make sure that we work with the student and the family so that we don't have students repeating work, um, because that's the last thing you want for a high school student. So placement is always a challenge, I think, for school districts, especially math, depending on where kids were coming from. So we've really started to put an emphasis on student-to-student programs, because I think that's really where, where that new student who comes in the middle of the school year who didn't have the luxury of attending a new student orientation, how do we integrate that kid into our school district in a way that they feel supported and welcomed. So, you know, pairing them with a, a new student who has a similar schedule, which is really easy when you're talking about um, middle school and elementary. You know, partnering them with somebody, making sure they have someone to sit with lunch with, uh, make sure they have another student who can help them learn how to open their locker. Those little things make them feel welcome. Also, you know, if it's a new family and on a campus that's highly military, we might partner and we might contact the PTA for the, they might have somebody in their little PTA who welcomes new families to sort of reach out and let them know where resources are and share that. And in our school district, they would share my point of contact. So if families have other questions, you know, they might have questions about the community, how to navigate their health care, things like that. They can call me and then I can share what I know about the community. You know, mid-year moves, I think, are challenging in that sense. Um, but, but some of the, there are some advantages to it. You know, when your child moves mid-year, it also means that they are immediately back in, in a learning environment and they're not spending the summer waiting to meet new students. You, you know, if we can really be welcoming to those new students, uh, I think they can transition really smoothly. You guys have some other great things, too. You do welcome bags at each of your locations and, and they're specific yes. to the campus. I think you mentioned the good-to-know sheet which has some local information, and also your Facebook page, which allows that opportunity for families to connect online and possibly even before they arrive, I would think. Yeah, I think the welcome bags, and that's something that sort of grew out of the Military Family Council way before my position existed. One of the things that, you know, we all know as military families is that you, you show up and you try to get as much information about an area as possible, so you're picking up stuff. We felt that by doing a welcome bag, there was information. We could provide information about the community. So we have some local publications that really give a great overview of what the community looks like. And we put some maps in there of the community because even though you have, you know, MapQuest and stuff, it, sometimes it's nice to be able to see the big picture, how everything's connected. 
And then we put stuff that's specific to the district. So we have, you know, one sheet that has all the schools, start times, end times, their phone numbers, and all the different social media and local community links that you might want as a parent. We put information there about inclement weather because if you're coming to North Carolina, let's say you lived in Alaska or, you know, you're at Fort Drum where it snowed, you still went to school. You come to North Carolina, it snows and life stops because we don't have the same structure um, for vehicles and stuff to take care of the roads in the same way. So we put inclement weather in there so you understand what the policy is going to look like and how you're going to find out if we have school. Um, and then we do attendance policies because there are some exceptions for attendance, things that we excuse for military students of active duty service members um, that might be different than other students. And so we have the attendance policies that are for everybody, and then we have those additional policies really that are supported by both our legislature in the state of North Carolina, but also by uh, the Garrison Commander's Guidance. And then each school adds their own personal information. So we do a base bag, and then the bag goes to the schools. And so the goal is that no matter when a family enrolls, we want to give them a bag that has that information. Whether they're military or not, we want them to have that bag because moving is moving. And so the people who enroll at the school will put their school-specific information, their car line, their parent guidelines, all that stuff can also go in the bag. Um, and then this way, if you weren't there at the beginning of the school year and you weren't there for all those things that they were presented at their new student orientation and their back-to-school nights, you still don't miss out just because you came later in the year. Our good-to-know sheet stemmed out of, uh, especially from the high school and middle school, parents who were transitioning in and they, their kids were missing opportunities for things like governor's school to apply for the North Carolina School of uh, Math and Science uh, because they didn't know these programs even existed. So what we did is we put all those little programs and services on one page um, and we also have information about the Interstate Compact, about the Military Family Council, Impact Aid, ways for parents can learn about that. So some of the information on the page is military-specific, but some of it, it applies to all families regardless of um, how they transitioned into our school. And then the Facebook page we do, we do um, we sort of track what's happening sometimes at the national level. So if we see changes that are happening to TRICARE or things that impact military families or programs and services that maybe MSEC's doing or the National Military Family Association is doing, we'll share those through our page. Um, we share things that are happening with military-connected students on that page. And we also share things that are happening with our major installations. So um, if Fort Bragg has something where there's a closure or changes in their status on the installation, we share it on that page. Um, as well. So it, it's a way to sort of track all those changes in one area and sort of keep military families in this community just sort of caught up on some things they might have missed. I think those are all great ideas. Thank you so much for sharing those. So here at For the Sake of the Child, we love to hear stories. Do you have any particular stories that you want to close out with? You know, I think the military family forum, I just think, has been such a powerful thing for us. And um, in fact, this year, I actually, the other, the other four districts um, want to come and attend this year and sort of watch how it plays out. One of the first years we did this, there was a parent who had a high school student. So she had transitioned her children multiple times. So by the time, you know, by the time you're a high school parent, you have this process, like if you've moved multiple times, you have this process down to a science. You, you learn lessons the hard way as an elementary parent, but the time you're in high school, it's solidified. Um, and she she was out briefing the high school parents' um, issues from the forum. So she was saying, hey, here are our top three, here are our recommendations. And I thought 
she did such a great job of really communicating with the staff. We actually use her quote all the time. And she talked about that the goal um, for military students is for them to be able to stay on the same track as their fellow students, their academic peers. What we want is a student comes in, we want them to not slide back or have to do repetitive work. And her statement was so powerful. She says, we are not expecting special treatment, just the same opportunities as students with longevity in the school system. I thought that was such a great way to show and really explain to counselors and staff members and principals what it is as military families we want for our children. We're not looking for them to be different. We're not looking for them to get something that they didn't earn. What we're asking is that when they walk in, had they been in your school district for the five years previous or the 10 years previous, what would you be doing with them now? And what would they be participating in? That's where we want them to be. We want them to be able to walk into the same moment in time. And so to me, that's a really powerful thing that came out of that. And every time we finish with the forum and every time I finish with a presentation, when I talk to people, I remind them of that. That's what we're looking for. It's not about making them special. It's about really giving them the same opportunities as if they'd been here their whole lives. Wow, that is a powerful quote. Well, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today about some of the welcoming practices in your district and sharing your stories. We appreciate all that you've done over the years to help military children in your community and your state. And, and I know that you are a volunteer as well and that you are servicing yourself. So thank you so much. But we, you know, we appreciate it so much. And the, the big thing we appreciate that a lot of what we've done um, have come from lessons learned from MSEC. So we take what you guys do to heart very much, and we try to utilize the resources that you provide to support our students in a better way. So it's a, for us, it's a, very, it's a wonderful partnership. Well, thank you so much. To all our listeners, be sure to follow us and subscribe so you can hear our podcasts first and access the bonus content. We also want you to leave us a comment and tell us what you think. Also, let us know who you want to hear from in future podcasts. Thank you all for listening, and join us again next week. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.